I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me. Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Amesden, and this is the Road Back from Salt Lake edition. I am driving back from Salt Lake City, uh, and much like my Road from Lubbock podcast, this is just going to be a stream of consciousness about the state of the program. Probably a little bit different of a tone to it, considering uh, that the Arizona State Sun Devils are 4-3, and 3-1 three, three and one in the Pac-12 with an opportunity to defend home field against USC and control their destiny in the Pac-12 South from here on out. Uh, I'm in a part of Utah right now. Uh, where the seasons are changing. They actually have changing seasons here. And it's just a stark reminder that things can change. Arizona State, a team that had given up I believe over 30 points in close to 10 games that had surrendered points in 17 straight quarters going into their game against Washington has back-to-back first half shutouts. And over the last two weeks, they've outscored their Pac-12 opponents um, just through Brandon Ruiz alone, their kicker. I mean, it has been an absolutely incredible turnaround for this defense, for the Arizona State Sun Devils as a program, and for Todd Graham as a head coach. Uh, Over the course of this podcast, We're going to get into a few of the reasons uh, why the tides are turning, how they're able to do what they're doing, um, whether or not you should be surprised and what you should expect for the rest of the season. So, you know, let's get into it. Arizona State, for the first time in 21 years, beats a top five opponent in Washington and then heads on the on the road. And for the first time in two years, they knock off a Pac-12 opponent on the road. They nearly nearly got their first Pac-12, or I guess would have been Pac-10 at the time, victory over an opponent without allowing a touchdown, but they do surrender a late touchdown to to ultimately make the score um, 30-10, to but there's just not a lot of negative or or, or not a lot that can be picked apart or critiqued about the last two weeks and the defensive performance um, from this Arizona State Sun Devils team. So uh, the first thing that I'd really like to get into um, is why this is happening. Why all of the sudden uh, can Arizona State not only play defense, but why do they look like world beaters on defense? Why all of the sudden, you know, do they go from a from a team that's surrendering, you know, thirty to San Diego State to one that uh, one that both Washington and and uh, and Utah are unable to score on, and you know the players after the game that they sent to the podium um, for the post game press conference. You had Demario Richard up there, Christian Sam, uh, Jamarcus Rhodes, Manny Wilkins, and they like Allen Iverson just repeated the same thing over and over again. Practice, practice, practice. This whole thing for them has been about practice and preparation. And, you know, I'm, I'm in this post-game presser, and, and, and Doug Holler of, of AZ Central, he posed a really, uh, what I thought was an insightful and challenging question to this narrative that just like, hey, we're practicing hard, and that's why we're winning. And he said, you know, you've been practicing. You practiced through the first three weeks. You practiced all year last year when at one point you were one and eight in your last nine. You were practicing then. So what about those practices is actually different? And I think that's an important question to ask. What 
what is happening? If it really is all about what's going on in practice, what's happening? And, I, and Christian Sam, I think, really put it best when he said it's just a matter of hammering away at the same thing over and over and over again until the dam finally breaks. And, and now the dam's broke. You have players uh, that are buying in, that understand the, their concepts, um, and and. You know, on, on Christian Sam's interception against Utah, you know, where <laughs> he was made fun of for falling down and not taking it to the house, um, he said he was so prepared for that play that he almost jumped the route too soon and missed out on the opportunity to get an interception. You know, and if you remember when it was Arizona State was really having most of its uh, success, not only success, but getting in trouble and getting into hot water from other teams in the conference who said that Arizona State had some way to monitor what it was they were doing or that they had the ability to call out, you know, another team's plays ahead of time. Uh, and the truth is it was just it was just preparation. It was just understanding what personnel packages uh, were on the field, what plays that teams ran out of those personnel packages. Um, you know, they're accused of stealing signs, and the truth is they're just prepared for what's coming. They know that if you put out a running back whose sole purpose is to either run draw plays or, or take screens, that you prepare for one of those two plays. You know, when Arizona State was having defensive success, that's the thing that it was always attributed to, was preparation. Now, they were accused of, of some illegal type of preparation, which was never proved, and ultimately ended up, and I think, in Mike Leach getting fined for some of his dumb comments. But, you know, when they were having success, the post-game press conferences were almost always themed the exact same. We knew everything that they were going to do before they did it because we prepared for it. And that's the tone that you're starting to see players take now that uh, – now that they're winning is we knew what they were going to do. We knew our assignments. We knew how to execute them. And that's what brought us this, this success. It's all about practice. When Todd Graham was asked about practice, he said, you know, there it's, it's clicking. It's like, uh, it's like the, the belt on an old car, you know, it's finally just clicked in, found its groove and, and, and it's able to go. Um, you know, a lot of people might look at the personnel on this team, as I did before the season, and say, how could they possibly improve? You know, the, the, the only feasible thing that I could think of was sort of the cow model of getting out of the basement, which is throw as many bodies out there as possible and just go with what works. And while we have seen some personnel shifts for this Arizona State team, the truth is, you know, for the most part, they've stuck with the guys that they had planned on depending on from the get-go. You know, Chase Lucas, had he been ready game one, he would have been out there from game one. Kobe Williams is somebody who I was told over the summer was going to be a starting cornerback, and he's been out there the entire time. Daz Tadalatasi and Chad Adams, while at times surrendering uh, some playing time to other players when they do make mistakes, have persevered, especially in the last two games, as having taken most of the snaps at safety. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to see uh, the fact that players are getting it in practice means that they're getting the opportunity to get on the field. Uh, and after the Washington game, you know, they would, George Lee and Rennell Wren, it was attributed to them having good weeks in practice and finally understanding what Phil Bennett was trying to do defensively that gave them the opportunity to actually be 
on the field in the first place. And so, you know, that, that's what they'll tell you is it's practice and pre- preparation and it's finally clicking. They're not surprised by the success that they had. They're so not surprised that Todd Graham found Michael Crow before the Washington game and said, we're going to give you the game-winning ball. Now that's, you know, if you, if you had the belief that Todd Graham was on the hot seat, if you carried around that belief that he was just a couple of games away from, um, from getting fired, and I talked to some people who were surprised that he even made it through the bye week, uh, that's a pretty gutsy thing to do. Or like literally ballsy, because he's talking about giving away the game ball to the president of the university when a top five team is coming into town. And I think it's just at the point where the coaching staff, five new assistants, two new coordinators, they all understand what it's like to go to battle together. They understand what they're doing. Um, There's not too many cooks in the kitchen. Todd Graham has stayed out of Phil Bennett's way. You know, they've dramatically improved on giving up big plays outside of essentially what happened against, uh, you know, Bryce Love. And what happened, you know, on a couple of occasions against San Diego State, the truth is the the big plays in the passing game are almost non-existent. And so here you have a team that just says, hey, we've been practicing hard. It's clicking. We get it. And, and, and that's why we're having this success. After the Washington game, Todd Graham also said, you know, told my players to quit paying attention to the media. They have to write things. And while he admitted that some of the things that the media was writing about the team, which definitely had, you know, I won't say a negative slant because it's an honest slant about the negative aspects of the trend of the team. You know, he'll say, you know, those things were true, but don't pay attention to them. Don't read them. Believe that you can do this and go out and practice like you can do this. And it'll translate on the field. And, and, you know, we, we, until the day that they are paying these athletes and they are no longer considered amateurs, we're still talking about young men who have to have their character developed as well as their athletic ability. And when you have a group of people who are being told one thing over and over and over and over again, and, and you tell them, you know, if you do this, if you persevere, if you, if you do these specific things, you'll have success. And you do those specific things week after week after week, but the success isn't there. It's really, really, really easy to lose heart or to believe that the issue is with the messenger. And that's just not something that this team has done. They've continued to grind. They've continued to believe. They've continued to to, to look at the game plan that's available to them and the assistance uh, that they have from the assistant coaches on this staff and say, if we do what we're supposed to do, then we will have the ability to have success. You know, they took that cliche seriously, that the Pac-12, that that essentially the Pac-12 was a new season. You know, it was very cliche when we heard it after, after Arizona State had lost to San Diego State and lost in Lubbock. You know, of course you're going to look at the Pac-12 as a, as a new season because there's really nothing else to build off of. But they took that seriously. I mean, this is a team that, that you know, definitely got beat by, uh, by a Stanford team that, you know, had the, the quick toss and power pitch and things that, you know, they had a really tough time defending. Uh, but, you know, the other teams that they faced have had that co- 
uh, capability as well to run the ball, to throw the ball. They, every team that they have defeated in the Pac-12 has had talent. The Oregon matchup, not only was it not great for them uh, matchup-wise, um, but the you know the, the players that were on the field had had proven success against Arizona State in the past. It had been 13 years since Arizona State had even gotten a win against Oregon. And so, you know, here we are. Five weeks after Pac-12 play has officially started, they had their bye week in there. And they're three and one, and they got USC coming to town. And you're starting to see some of that old Todd Graham swagger make its way back to the surface. You know, he's been a muted version of himself. You know, I think on the Speak of the Devils podcast, I might have used the term neutered, um, which which I'm sure you know doesn't ingratiate me with. Uh, with Todd Graham in any way, shape, or form. But the truth is, he was told to keep quiet. That the 2015 season where Mike Bercovici came in and wrote a letter to the fans saying, you know, nothing less than a national championship, you know, when the staff that worked in the football offices used to answer the phones, you know, Arizona State, home of the future national champions, you know, when Todd Graham would come out to the podium and say, you know, we're about going 1-0 15 weeks in a row and, and, and things like that. Um, and then you would go out and not produce on the field. That was an issue, um, you know, that, that, that Ray Anderson felt he needed to nip in the bud and just say, hey, focus on what you're doing. Don't project so much because you create this gap between, you know, what other people's expectations are and what the reality of the situation is, and you're doing yourself no favors. So I can see it from Ray Anderson's perspective, but at the time I also thought, you know, this is this Todd Graham's a coach maybe possibly on his way out if they can't right the ship, and I'd rather Todd Graham go out being Todd Graham than go out being some muted version of himself. You know, and, I, and, and, and it turns out that he, he absolutely has the ability to be himself, to do what it is that he does behind closed doors, uh, to not be so forthright. And he said since then, when it's been brought up, he's never going to apologize for setting the bar high. He's never going to apologize for setting these goals with the team. You know, they're, they're, they're still aiming to win the Pac-12 South. It's just that all of a sudden they actually have a chance to do it. And so I think because they have that chance to do it, you're seeing just bit by bit a little bit of that swagger, a little bit of that left lane hammered down mentality come out of Todd Graham. And, you know, I'm, I, and this is me reading into his comments, so don't take this as a direct quote or, or an infallible interpretation. But, you know, in the postgame after, after the Utah win, Todd Graham's saying, you know, you need to get the student body out. They need to show up. They need to pack that place out because they were a big help against Oregon and they were a big help against Washington. And Sun Devil Stadium has really been a great environment for the past two home games. He's not lying about that. Uh, he, he's not He's not overstating that in any way, shape, or form. Arizona State Sun Devils have actually had a home field advantage. It's actually felt like they've had a home field advantage. And so, you know, when he says, you know, we need that same thing against USC, of course you need that same thing against USC because USC is a very good team. He calls them the best team in their league, and I think he's talking about Pac-12 South or North. I think he's referring to both. You know, he said, we need that. But at the same time, I think that he means get as many people out and get their butts in the seats as possible because we want to show you what we're capable of doing right now. I think he wants an audience for this new 
and improved uh, Sun Devil defense for this offense that hasn't been making mistakes, that all of a sudden can run the ball against what he knows, and he calls them the best team in the league, but against what he knows is a very vulnerable USC team that's going through this, some of the same struggles that Arizona State had as far as a young offensive line, as far as coaches having a tough time gelling, as far as not being able to use all of the talent on the team to your advantage. He knows that this is a, you know, this is a wounded calf that's coming into uh into Sun Devil Stadium. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe let's not call USC a wounded calf. Maybe let's call them a cornered dog. Uh, because obviously, if you don't do the right things, this is a team that can absolutely bite. Um, and you saw it last year. You know, Arizona State had a reputation of, of, of being a team that didn't allow other teams to run the ball on them. You know, Laiu Mokiola in his preseason speech to the team in 2016 uh, was basically like, this is the best front seven in the Pac 12, and we know it. Well, and people weren't really testing Arizona State. They were they were throwing on Arizona State because, you know, Arizona State was allowing big plays. Well, USC looked at Arizona State's front seven, and they said, you know what? We're just going to run the ball and see what happens. And they absolutely destroyed the myth that Arizona State didn't have the ability to be run on. And you can argue, ultimately, put Arizona State into the downward spiral uh, that was 2016. I know they came back and, and and got a victory against UCLA and then ended up dropping the rest of their games the you know the rest of that season. But at the same time, you know, they, they USC broke them last year. Sure they got a, a win against UCLA where Josh Rosen uh, was injured and the defense performed admirably, but that was a bad offensive line, an inexperienced quarterback, and a running back that that really has underperformed to expectations as far as UCLA on the road. You know, and so USC, I feel like last year, shattered the Sun Devils, and they're finally picking up the pieces. So for anybody that wants to look back to 2016 and say, you know, through seven games, they were five and two then. So nobody should be excited about four and three now. No, there, there's a giant difference. You would want to take four and three in 2017 over five and two in 2016 any day because one team was trending up and one team was just absolutely, you know, in pieces on the floor, uh, metaphorically and literally as far as injuries go. So... You know, it'd take 2017 seven weeks into the season all day long, uh, even though the record was better last year. But back to the fact that Todd Graham knows that Arizona State has a chance to beat USC. Maybe they've beaten USC a couple of times with Todd Graham at the helm, and he knows they've got a really good chance next week, and he wants people to go out and watch this happen in person. Come alleviate all of your fears and frustrations of the previous two years at Sun Devil Stadium next week because we're going to take it to them. That's what I believe that Todd Graham is saying. I believe that to be true. He might ultimately just be saying, hey, you know, we can't win without you guys unless you're loud. But after five or six years of watching Todd Graham, his mannerisms, being able to read between the lines, I think what he's trying to say is, like he said to Dr. Crow, fans, come out, 
and we will get you that game ball. I don't know. You tell me. Log on to Devil's Digest. Let's argue about it in the comments uh, on, on the message board there. Um, that's, that's where I live. That's where I love to be. So log on to devilsdigest.com and you let me know. Is Todd Graham being coy? Is he sending sort of a hidden message saying we need you out there so that I can show you what this team is capable of? Oh, you fans who thought I was on my way out. You know, or is he just recognizing the obvious importance of the fact that you need fans in the seats because it adds an element that frustrates the other team and coaches need every little possible thing to fall correctly in order for them to get the win. So why not make sure that the odds are stacked in your favor? Either way, you want a full stadium. Either way, you don't want a giant wedge of, of USC Trojans fans, you know, buying up a bunch of tickets and being loud when you have the ball. You know, that's incredibly frustrating, especially considering, you know, not only did USC break them last year, but USC absolutely embarrassed them two years ago. I guarantee you there are fans that haven't been back to an Arizona State game since leaving at halftime of that USC game. I think there's a reason that Todd Graham wants people out there. I think that he believes that they are going to be prepared. I think he sees their trajectory. I think he sees what the coaching staff and what the players have been capable of doing now that they're taking instruction and now that they've had a taste of success. And I see. I think he sees the, str- the struggles of USC to stop the run. I think he sees the struggles of USC to play with pride. And I think he looks at next week and says, if we do what we're supposed to do, we're going to win. So you might as well be there and be there in person to say that you were there. And he's not going to give you the I told you so after the game, but you'll know. If you're that fan that gave up on the team, but you're coming back around for this game, you'll know. And that's kind of where I think a little bit of him is coming from. Again, I could be making that entire thing up. I'm driving back from Salt Lake City right now, and I have to say words, (laughs) you know, to fill the time. But I fully believe that Todd Graham is telling the fans, you know, come have confidence in this team again. It's okay. It's okay. And one of the reasons why I think he's so confident in this team and he stated it over and over again. I I actually just went back and listened to an interview uh, that I did with Todd Graham at Camp T and then one prior to that over the summer uh, at Pac-12 Media Days to see how his comments and his optimism before the season align with Arizona State's upward trajectory, the fact that they're 4-3, and the fact that they had their first Pac-12 road win in two years, the fact that they had their first win over a top-five team in 21 years, the fact that they beat Oregon for the first time in 13 years. You know, I'm, I'm trying to look for the common thread between what he had to say before the season and what he had to say now. And you know what that is? It's that he brought in assistants that weren't going to try to force the issue or do the things that they want to do to make their mark on this program, but that they were going to cook with the groceries that were on the table and that they were going to use the players to the strengths that they've already got. 
And that's what he said after the game. Our coordinators have done a great job of coming in here and using the players on the field to the best of their ability. Because that's what the players are recruited to do, was to do the things that they they were told they were going to do when they came in. And it's hard on a student-athlete to come in and to have a different coordinator or a position coach every single year who might come in with a different idea or attitude or might try to be working on their own upward trajectory um, and, and, and try to leave their mark on the program and say, no, you have to do things this way. What Todd Graham wanted is he wanted to be surrounded by assistants who were going to say, all right, your players are good at this, so let's do what the players are good at. Let's make it work with what we've got. And while Todd Graham has come out and said that, you know, you can take it however you want, we're playing more talented players in the defensive backfield this year than they were than we were last year, he's also repeatedly said that last year, again and again and again and again, they failed to make any adjustments to allow the players to do what they were capable of. They really tried to force the issue defensively instead of saying, all right, what can our players do? Let's stick with that. And he said after multiple games this year that he sees that as being one of the biggest differences. And even though you might see different formations and different personnel on offense, something else that Todd Graham has said, and and the reason I like using his words the most is obviously he's going to be the foremost expert on what's going on on the field, is Todd Graham has said, yeah, you might see a fullback and tight ends out there. And this is something he even said before the season started. You might see a fullback out there. You might see tight ends on the field. You might see those type of sets. The truth is they wanted to do it last year and just didn't have the ability to or gave up on it too early. So if you look at this offense and you see changes that Billy Napier has made, the truth is they're not changes that Billy Napier has made. They were the goals that Arizona State had for this team based on the personnel that were in place from the very beginning. Or that's just a cute and convenient way of explaining away the success that they're having. But the truth is he did say that before the season. He said it at Pac-12 Media Days a month and a half before the season ever started. He said, you know, we're going to use the players the way that they're meant to be used. Now, I've certainly taken qualms on, on this podcast and on Speak of the Devils with the way that some of their players are used. You know, I'd prefer that they just be moved around completely or not used at all instead of pretending like they're going to be a focal point of the offense. And part of that's really that, you know, the offensive line didn't really have the experience to, to, to open holes for Demario Richard. And when Demario Richard was asked after the Stanford game, you know, wh- how were you able to rush for 170 yards in the first half against a team that allows 119 yards rushing per game? Demario put it really, really simply. We're finally getting that push up front. That's as simple as you can make it. They're getting a push up front. So even though Demario Richard is still getting hit in the backfield and he's still having to make plays and spin out of tackles and get yardage on his own, they're getting more of a push up front than they were getting before. And Demario's not going to sugarcoat anything. If the offensive line is doing a better job than, than, than they were before, he's going to say that. You know, He's not going to come out and throw anybody under the bus, 
but you'll retroactively know that they've been under the bus by him saying, we're finally getting a push up front. So, you know, that that's obviously helpful. Um, but, you know, there are other players where I feel like haven't necessarily been used to their strengths. And about Kalen Balaj, I've said a few times, you know, I think at the end of the day, at the end of Kalen Balaj's career, Arizona State fans are going to wonder if all these Nebraska fans who were bummed that Kalen Balaj didn't commit to go play in Lincoln as an outside linebacker, you know, or, or who knew that Todd Graham was doing his absolute best to steal Kalen Balaj from Mike Norvell and use him as an outside pass rusher. I think you're always going to be left with that inkling and wondering and doubt of, you know, should that have been where he was? Should maybe he have been a tight end or something along those lines? But then again, you know, you certainly can't accuse this staff of under-tinkering with where players are at on the field. Whether it's Connor Humphreys or Ty Wiley or, you know, John Humphrey moving back and forth or, you know, Jeremy Smith or Frank Darby um, or going back, you know, to to Gump Hayes and, you know, everybody everybody that's sort of – dallied at different positions you know for this Arizona State team you haven't seen a lot of success in that and so it's weird for me to come on here and and accuse accuse anybody of under tinkering and 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 you know uh not necessarily uh you know or having a lack of imagination on what people are capable of but I mean you are starting to see some payoff Obviously, Chase Lucas at cornerback, you know, this is a guy who was recruited to play a position that he had never even played before. Originally a safety and now a true corner. And he looks good. He looks good. If you're an Arizona State fan, you got to be thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, we could have two to three full years of Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas at corner if everything goes perfectly and people stay healthy, which would allow you to recruit to sort of backfill that position so that there's not a giant drop-off in talent in the case of injury or graduation, you know, or one of these players leaving early or something like that. You know, so, you know, that, that that's one instance. And you can say that, you know, ultimately maybe Chris Ball when he was here had more to do with that or just the basic overall need or his body type or whatever. Um, You know, but that's one example. But the most recent example, the one that everybody's going to be talking about uh, for the rest of the season, especially if he keeps going the way that he does, is J.J. Wilson. You know, J.J. Wilson, he played some some, uh, you know, safety linebacker hybrid stuff in, in high school. But he came here as a tight end. He had a spring game in 2016 where he looked unstoppable. And, you know, whether it was Hode Rubino with Devil's Digest or or any number of other people, even people within the program were saying, J.J. Wilson, he's going to be that breakout guy. He's got the talent to do really big things. And a lot of that was coming from the players, the players on the team, you know. You ask them, like, who, who do we need to pay attention to? J.J. Wilson's name comes up over and over and over again. Every week, just physically, he looks better, more athletic. 
And then all of a sudden you get into a situation last year where ASU's getting blown out by Washington, and in the fourth quarter, Manny Wilkins throws like two different Hail Mary-ish type passes, and J.J. Wilson goes up and hulks both of them out of the sky, uh, you know, to score two touchdowns. And in your head, you're like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the tight end of the future. This is what they've been missing. This guy has all of the physical tools that Cody Cole didn't. And if put in that role, he'll produce even more than a guy like Cody Cole, who probably overproduced uh, offensively. You know, he's going to produce even more. You know, they were so confident that he was the guy that Raymond Epps transferred out of the program completely. And then you get into the middle of the season. Karan Crump goes down three games in, torn ACL, out for the year. And a conversation that Todd Graham has probably had a billion times, he goes to a player and says, hey, I'm going to need you to switch positions. You know, what's J.J. Wilson going to do in that scenario? J.J. Wilson, who lives with Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry, you know, they probably sit around the house when they're not playing 2K or, or something like that, talking about the damage that they can, they can do and the havoc that they can wreak on offense together. And he says, you know, what, what he says that he said was, for the defense, for the long term, for the need of this defense, I'm going to need you to switch. And if you're J.J. Wilson in that scenario, and you've watched so many of your teammates be moved around from one side of the ball to the other, and granted, you're struggling, but the guy who might have been ahead of you on the depth chart is completely transferred out of the program. The guy behind you, as far as a pass-catching tight end, uh, was somebody who was completely unrecruited out of high school and, you know, is a Juco guy in C.J. French Love. You know, and you have Tommy Hudson, who's mostly being used to block. And you say to yourself, like, they want those guys over me. They want me on defense. But the people they've moved to defense, they haven't even really got snaps. But to J.J. Wilson's credit and ultimately to Todd Gramps, he says, yeah, you know, I'll do it. I think it suits my strengths to go in and play devil backer. A complicated position that Arizona State has had a nearly impossible time, you know, filling the shoes of the people who once played it. Whether it's through just absolute, you know, ridiculous circumstances like Devon Durant and his domestic violence accusations and getting tossed off the team, you know, or Ismail Murphy Richardson using a stolen credit card and getting tossed off the team or Bo Wallace deciding that he'd rather be a male model than a football player and leaving the team. You know, they've had an incredibly hard time filling that role. They've had to use Antonio Longino. You know, they they, they basically got to the point where they got lucky that Karan Crump was developed and, 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 and understood the system enough to do some damage, um, and then he goes down. They've had just an incredible string of bad luck trying to fill that role. So what makes them think a tight end who was struggling to play that position uh, was going to be the answer? And ultimately, it's worked. I mean, J.J. Wilson had a pick six. He had three different times where he got to Tyler Huntley, Utah's Tyler Huntley, as he was throwing the ball to disrupt the pass. Who knows what would have happened on those throws? 
I was at the game. I didn't have the benefit of replay when I go home to rewatch it. You know, I'm going to go and see if Tyler Huntley had open receivers on any of those three occasions where J.J. Wilson got to his arm. It is incredible the impact that J.J. Wilson had on the game just two, three weeks after switching from offense to defense. So I guess, you know, when you go from, from calling him Tinker and Todd, it goes from being, you know, poking fun to ultimately a compliment. Because I'm not so sure that this team is able to win these last two games, much less dominate them without finding some way to replace the production that they were getting from their best defensive player. And you have to remember that they did this without A.J. Latu, who Todd Graham has lauded throughout the season as the defensive MVP up to this point, especially considering Karan Crump's injury. So you have players developing. You have coaches who have better chemistry. You have Todd Graham finally hit the jackpot on moving some players around. And, and now you're in a position to compete for the Pac-12 South championship. Arizona State, that was picked to finish fifth. Fifth in the Pac-12 by the media. Now, the collective Pac-12 media, 90% of them, the only time they watch any other Pac-12 team is when they're either doing game prep and game previews or actually watching that team in person. So it's really easy to understand why the Pac-12 media as a collective could be so wrong every single year as far as just at least how the Pac-12 South is going to shake out. That's completely understandable. Because, you know, there are, there are people who sit at home and watch college football all day on Saturdays who could do a 10 times better job projecting and predicting the outcome of games than the actual media. And it, because, you know, there, I think there's this inert belief that the media, because they're around the teams more and because it's their job, should be better at projecting or predicting. But if you really examine that, that line of thought, that line of logic, it doesn't really make much sense. It's like a car factory assembly line, you know? You could say that, yeah, I help build Ford trucks. But the truth is, you know, your, your job in building that Ford truck is you, you know, you make sure that the tailpipe works. So you know a lot about tailpipes. You know a lot about the parts that surround the tailpipe. You know, you know who who it goes to after you uh, on the assembly line, and you know who's before you on the assembly line. But you probably don't know much about carburetors. You probably don't know much about, you know, the electronic, electronic panel, the GPS or steering column or shocks or anything like that because you do your specific job, and that's what you focus on. A lot of the Pac-12 media, they don't get to watch a lot of football because they're at the game, prepping for the game three hours before it starts. 
You know, and if you're anything like the Devil's Digest crew, you're walking away from the game four or five hours after it ends. So it's really, really hard to project if you're a member of the media, which might sound like an excuse, uh, but at the same time, think about it. I mean, think about how far off the projections are for just the Pac-12 media every single year. And the truth is, you know, it's because they don't, they just don't get to watch as much of the games as your average Joe. I think your average Joe could do a better job if you have the ability to watch USC every week and you have the ability to watch ASU every week, then you're going to, you're going to have, I think, the ability to say, oh, here's where they match up well. Even the casual fan. This is what this team does well. This is what this team doesn't. And sure, if it's your job, you should also be doing those things. But you're probably going to watch maybe one or two games uh, when you're preparing and doing a preview or something like that. You're not going to watch them all year. So it is a little bit tougher. You know, I got I got lucky predicting the Washington game right. I got lucky predicting the Utah game right. But that's because I've had the I went and I got a Roku TV so that I could, uh, uh, you know, pay 30 bucks a month for Sling and watch all these recorded Pac-12 games and actually see what these teams are doing. You know, that, that that's vastly uh, improved my ability to be able to feel like there are certain aspects where Arizona State matches up well with a team or, or if they don't. That and my longstanding belief that, that Chris Peterson absolutely has no idea what Todd Graham is up to. Which ultimately I feel like was, was, was proven right uh, in the fact that, you know, they, they almost got shut out. But so, you know, you look at these projections and it makes sense. To me, it makes sense that, that Arizona State would be picked fifth. Because you're going to be reactionary. You're going to go based off of what they did last year. You're going to use stats, whether they're in context or not. You're not going to necessarily be familiar with the personnel that they're bringing in. Uh, when they bring in new coordinators, especially if they're from another conference, do you know how ridiculously hard it is to keep track of what Phil Bennett's impact was on Baylor? Because you know how far you'd have to go back to say, you know, this is what they were like before him and after him. Sure, you could use baseline statistics, but everything changes from the offensive coordinators that Phil Bennett had to deal with in the Big 12 to the time of possession that Baylor, you know, was able to have that, that would give the defense breaks. It's really hard to predict. You know, what's a wide receiver coach from Alabama going to do for Arizona State's offense? Todd Graham one time said, you know, and this is Pac-12 media days, we're all sitting around the table with him, and he says, you know, I, I ask him about some of these head coaches, you know, uh, you have guys that are five and six years into their tenure, and you have brand new guys. Are you excited to see, you know, what they bring to the table? Um, or, or with everybody having, you know, felt things out, do you feel like it'll, they'll be, it'll be more competitive or there'll be more parity with all of these coaches that have been uh, to battle so many times together? And he just flat out said, like, it's got a lot more to do with the coordinators than the actual head coaches. And the coordinators that come and go have a lot to do with the way things shift up and down in the Pac-12. And so here Arizona State is with two new coordinators, and Todd Graham says that what he fought for and what he wanted were coordinators that were going to come in and that weren't going to be stubborn. 
you know, that, that we're going to come in and say, here's what you have, here's what we can do with what you have. And now all of a sudden you have an offensive line that's starting to get a little bit more experience to show a little bit more initiative, to get a little bit more push on their blocks. You've got some tight ends like C.J. French Love making ridiculous plays to help Arizona State put Washington away at the end of the game. You know, you've got an absolutely stacked receiver core that has not underperformed. They've absolutely performed up to expectations. And as an aside, since I'm bringing up the receiver core, uh, Rob Likens, probably the most energetic and upbeat guy, maybe intense, positively intense, not, not, not intense like scream in your face type guy, but one of the most intense people that I have ever covered in coaching at any level. And I, I asked a, a receiver on Arizona State's team who will remain nameless, uh, you know, if he's like that all the time, and he told me that game days are three Red Bull days. Here I was thinking that Rob Likens was just always naturally like this. But I mean, he goes to that he goes to that artificial boost on game days. Three Red Bulls. Can you imagine? I would die, no doubt in my mind. A Red Bull and a half, and I would be awake for probably seventy straight hours. With shaking the whole time. <laughs> yeah, Rob Likens, who was already the most energetic guy I've ever seen, is out there pounding three Red Bulls on game day. <laughs> you know, imagine having that guy in your ear. And maybe that's part of why the receiver core, you know, they, they've absolutely performed up to expectations. They've made huge plays. When people have gone down, other people have stepped up. Um, and it's a shame it's almost a shame that when you're that loaded at receiver, it makes it even harder to recruit. Because who wouldn't want to come play for this guy? Who wouldn't want to come play in this offense? You know, especially when you have a head coach saying, we're going to do what you were recruited to do. That's music to a recruit's ears. That's the thing that keeps recruits from mass transferring every single time a coordinator comes and goes is if you remain dedicated to accomplishing what the players on the field were there to accomplish in the first place. You know, you've got a defensive line coach uh, change from Joe Samalo to Michael Slater, and all of a sudden you're seeing uh, better results. There were times against Utah where Tashawn Smallwood looked like the monster that we've hoped that he'd be, and Joe Healy has absolutely nailed it when he said the biggest mistake for Tashawn Smallwood was to come in after Will Sutton and wear the number 90. So much expectations were on this guy. You know, Smallwood has needed a coach to be to, to, to drive him, to get behind him, and to just push. And you're seeing him wreak havoc. You're seeing Ronell Wren wreak havoc. Now, this is a young Utah offensive line. Uh, but that Washington offensive line, that was a serious, serious bunch of talented, giant individuals. And they struggled as well. Do you see Arizona State not necessarily blitzing as much? You know, you see the safeties playing back. You see the safeties have a much better ability to read when it's going to be a swing pass or a run. All of a sudden, Chad Adams went from being the GOAT 
uh, and not in the good way, not the Zane Gonzalez greatest of all time goat kind of way, but the goat who was missing tackles against Bryce Love to 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 essentially, you know, being the guy that you can count on to make a one-on-one open field tackle. You're seeing improvement from Daz Tautolatasi that's keeping his competition off the field, keeping him on it. You're seeing progression. Some of that's credit to TJ Rushing and the fact that he's been in this system for multiple years now, first as a GAA and now obviously as a, as a defensive assistant, working directly with the safeties. And a lot of that has to do with Phil Bennett using the players you know, to the strength that they have on the field. And every single week that goes by, those comments that seemed a little bit harsh toward Kareem Moore, you know, and other players who are not necessarily in the system anymore, um, Robbie Robinson or, or, or anybody else, you know, they look to be a little bit more true. Who would have thought, you know, Kobe Williams or a 25-year-old walk-on track star in Joey Bryant or a converted high school running back in Chase Lucas – you know, who was barely 165 pounds when he hit campus last year. Who'd have thought that they'd perform the way that they, they're performing? Well, obviously, Phil Bennett did, and that's, that's an enormous credit to him. The fact that DJ Calhoun isn't missing tackles and the fact that Christian Sam isn't missing games, uh, which Todd Graham will tell you last year absolutely killed this team. You know, the fact that, he, that, that Christian Sam isn't missing games... All of these are factoring into Arizona State's success, and all of them are factoring into into you know this mindset that they have that they have the ability to go to University of Southern California or to have University of Southern California come to them, and they can get this monkey off their back. Because if you think about it, in the last you know, in the last few years, the only victory that Arizona State's had against USC came via a little bit of luck. You know, in, 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 in the jail, Marion, I'm not going to disparage what was essentially one of the most exciting plays in Arizona State football history. A win's a win. Todd Graham will tell you himself that he doesn't care, you know, if the final score is, you know, in the 60s or, or, or you know, 13 to 7. He, what he cares about is getting the win. But still, you know, Arizona State had been dominated for a large portion of that game. And two years in a row has been dominated for the entire game by USC. But all of those things that, you know, that I've talked about in the last hour, they're all factoring into the attitude that Arizona State has um, that gives them the belief that they'll be able to get it done. That they'll be able to move to five and three have sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 South. And, and then I guess if University of Arizona keeps doing what they're doing, you know, set up what might be the most meaningful Territorial Cup since 2014. We'll have to see. I like to stick with predictions that I've made prior I don't I don't like to be swayed too much by emotion in the moment. I believe that USC would be better than they are right now. I still believe they'll win the Pac-12 South. I still believe that they'll beat Arizona State. But it's getting harder for me to justify that. Because the way that Arizona State beat Washington 
is they were more physical. They were the bully. The way that Arizona State went to Utah and beat Utah is they were more physical. They were the bully. This USC team, they don't look like bullies. They have incredible talent. They have a team full of players that Arizona State wanted. Do you think that Arizona State wanted Kobe Williams to be one of their starting cornerbacks right now? No. That's the way it worked out. They wanted Jack Jones. Jack Jones, who is starting at USC. Do you, do you think that they wanted Quinn Bailey and Cole Cabral and Zach Robertson to be figuring out their role on this offensive line? Or do you think they wanted Frank Martin and Austin Jackson? They absolutely wanted Frank Martin and Austin Jackson. Do you think that all of the struggles that Arizona State has had at center could have been fixed by the fact that they spent so much time chasing Brett Nealon to come in and be their center? Maybe. I know that Isaiah Polamau is out with two shoulder surgeries, but you can't say that Arizona State didn't want him. His parents have told me himself that that's the most aggressive anyone has ever recruited either one of their sons ever. That they were like dogs at the door, is a direct quote. This USC team, whether it's, you know, some of their ridiculous receivers like Tyler Vaughn's, running back Stephen Carr, another guy Arizona State wanted a lot. This USC team is filled to the brim with players that Arizona State, if they're being honest, because this is how recruiting works, you try to get the best players available, that they would have rather had than some of the guys they have on this team. And don't think that that's lost on Arizona State's players. Don't think that some of Arizona State's players don't realize that they have their job because someone else wanted to play in L.A. more. So you don't have to go deep-sea fishing for that underdog mentality motivation against USC. You don't say to yourself, oh, we just won two games in a row, three out of our last four, and we just watched USC get worked by Notre Dame harder than they've ever been worked by Notre Dame with Brian Kelly as coach. We're the favorite. No. You look across that field and you say, those are all players that my coaches at one time were hoping were wearing maroon and gold. And now it's up to me to show these players why they made the wrong choice and my coaches why they're lucky these players made that choice. This is a game you get fired up for. But I look at it and I see all these talented players and maybe I'm caught up in in the recent history of what USC's been able to do. Or maybe I'm just looking at the last two years. And I believe that this is still the better team. Todd Graham said it himself. 
it always helps me to use Todd Graham as my reference when I have people that are going to argue with what I have to say. <laughs> Todd Graham said it, you know, argue with him. This is the best team in the Pac-12 South. And Arizona State gets a chance to have them come in and take care of business. What more do you want? And it's interesting to me, and I wrote this for DevilsDigest.com, that Todd Graham, with all this talk about him being on the hot seat, has the opportunity to go from everybody calling for his job three weeks into the season, from essentially jumping out of the frying pan and into the fryer after what happened in Lubbock, to being in the best seat in the house, which is the seat at the top of the Pac-12 South. Your seat doesn't get much cooler than that. The seat at the top's not warm. The seat at the top is very comfortable. But can they do it? I mean, obviously, it's a long season. They've got five Pac-12 teams to play left. You know for a fact that this league is absolutely wacky because if you're listening to this podcast and saying that you knew for a fact that they'd beat Washington, you knew for a fact that that they'd beat Utah, that you knew for a fact that Cal would absolutely shut down Washington State and then Cal would get run off their own field by Arizona, you're, you know, then you are, you are somebody who I need to get stock tips, lottery numbers from, you know, you're a fortune teller because this is a very unpredictable league. And there are five games left. And you can't just say because Arizona State was good for the past month that they're going to finish strong. They're still at risk of not even making a bowl this year. They are as likely to not even make a bowl as they are to win the Pac-12 South. How ridiculous is that? It's amazing. And before the season, I said, you know, buckle up. Because this is either going to be a year where you watch everything fall apart and you watch Arizona State try to pick up the pieces and there's nothing more compelling than that. Or, you know, this is a year where they shock you. And you know you're gonna want you're gonna want to be around for that. You're gonna want to be part of that audience. And I think so far this year has delivered. It's about as good as it can get. This same team that lost at home to San Diego State when honoring Frank Cush beat number five Washington into submission, bullied them. So you can't go on trends. You can't say, oh, they're four and three, and that means they'll finish nine and three, and they'll go to the Pac-12 championship, and they'll, you know, maybe get another crack at Stanford or a team like Washington that they've already beat, or a team like Washington State, who has essentially become an enemy because of Mike Leach's propensity to run his giant mouth on his giant head. You can't do that. You can't project those type of things. You have to worry about USC. And what does it all come down to? Well, like Demario said, practice. 
I asked Sam Jones after after the game, you know, how, how do you get the offensive line to buy into the idea that just because you've had some success in this game that you don't rest on your laurels? And he said the film room. He said you can win 50 to nothing and the film room will tell you that you should have won 100 to nothing. Or you can lose by 10 and the film room will do, tell you that you did everything you could. And he said he knows for a fact that they there's a lot of things that they could have done better at Utah. You know, and so if all of those things come into place, if you have that underdog mindset, even though you have the momentum, if you have the underdog mindset and you also say to yourself, those are players that my coaches wish were wearing maroon and gold and not me. I mean, you have the, the students showing up and they're the same students that you want to be at the game and, and you want to have their support, but also you remember them walking out on you at halftime in 2015. So you want to impress them, but you also want to show them up a little bit. I mean, there's certainly no lack of ways to get motivated. So as I cross over into, uh, into Arizona, into uh, beautiful Page and Lake Powell, I'm going to sign off with this. You know, make sure that you're a subscriber to devilsdigest.com. Let's talk about these things. Make sure you catch Speak of the Devils podcast this week because it's going to be a great one. And make sure you're paying attention because no matter what happens, you know, the, the, this, this is a season uh, where you're not going to want to miss a minute of it. This has been Ralph Amsden, Road Back from Salt Lake City, Devil's Junkie Podcast. We'll catch you next time. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town